The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Steffen, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. Paul Anka is just a great performer and a songwriter songwriter. He is the only artist in history to have gone on the Billboard Top 100 during seven consecutive decades. And since the beginning of his career, his songs have been performed well over 100 million times collectively worldwide. Famous for Diana, Puppy Love, Put Your Head on My Shoulder, and My Way, he's got a new album called Making Memories and a new tour coming soon. Please welcome Paul Anka to the show. Hey, Jim. Paul, welcome. We certainly miss you here in Las Vegas. Well, I'm always in there. You don't see me, but I'm back and forth. All my buddies are there, and of course, it's second home. I've been there since the 70s, but uh, oh no, I don't forget Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's great to hear. Well, and of course, you grew up, I believe, in Ottawa, and Mm -hmm. you you were kind of like any other... You were like an American kid, really, in the 50s, because it sounded like you were listening to the radio, buying records. Who were you listening to when you were a kid? Well, 14 and 15, the black experience, not unlike today, prevailed. You know, certainly different in terms of, you know, how it played itself out. But I was listening to Fats Domino. I was listening to Chuck Berry. I was listening to all the doo-wop groups. Right. Some country music. Um, then Elvis came along. So that was pretty much the inspirations that were around me that led me to writing and wanting to be in the business. You know, at a time when pop music, was in its infancy stage. It was nowhere what it is today. And those artists really motivated me into wanting to write, wanting to record. I I remember running into this rock and roll show that came to town with uh, Chuck Berry and Fats Domino. And, you know, they threw them all on a bus and they'd hit different towns in North America. And I got in, broke in, and got into Chuck Berry's room. I sang him Diana. I yeah. wanted anybody yeah. to listen. And he says, the worst song I ever heard, go back to school. <laughs> so that made me try harder. And, and then the following year, there I was at the New York Paramount with Chuck Berry. I reminded him of that day. <laughs> so had you recorded that yet when you... when you? No. Yeah, okay. Well, and eventually you got to New York and recorded it. I wanted to get to New York because there was no real record companies in Canada. There were very few, actually. You know, yet. Nashville, Chicago, L.A. a little, and then New York. So New York, to me, was the big dream. And I I, I got a chance to get there because I collected soup wrappers at a contest for Campbell's Soup. And I, I took a job at the uh, grocery store so I could clock all the women that were buying the soup so I could rip the uh, labels. <laughs> anyway, I get to New York, and I'm smitten by it. And I said, I'm getting back here one day with my songs. You know, I go back home, and... Uh, I had the opportunity at Easter to go down, and I walked into an office down there, ABC Paramount Records, and that was the beginning. Got real lucky in May of '55. Uh, recorded it uh, at the end of May, and the song came out on American Bandstand in August of that year. Did you perform on American Bandstand then? You performed that song. Oh, sure did. Yeah, it was one of the earlier, maybe the first or second show of American Bandstand. I lip synced. Uh-huh. To, uh, to uh, Diana, which was one of many appearances that I had on uh, American Bandstand. Was that what, what I believe I read about an appearance where you were on there and you were lip syncing and the record got stuck? Got stuck. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't that funny then. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the answer is, well, I think, if, I think I remember just a few years ago, somebody's sister was on The Tonight Show and it got stuck. So that was very, <laughs> uh, very common even back then. Cause you're dealing with, you know, vinyl and a needle and who knows what the hell happened. But I was just, I couldn't believe it happening. It was, it's all true. Yeah, there it was. You have such a strong Vegas connection, and you actually got to know uh, Elvis Presley while you two were here, right? Well, Elvis got there before me. Um, didn't work out well for him. I got there in the late 50s with Sophie Tucker, uh, Darren, Frankie Alvon, all of us. You know, we were having all that teenage stuff, but we wanted to evolve into the Rat Pack, and that's all we knew back then. You know, when you think back, that was the name of the game, Vegas, Rat Pack, nightclubs. We didn't see anything else coming. Yeah. Well, the Beatles changed it. So I started successfully there with Sophie Tucker. Uh, I then got signed, and I'm working with the Rat Pack. Uh, Elvis I knew as an artist because we wound up at RCA Victor together in the 60s and got to know him later, much, much later when he came to Vegas because he didn't want to come back because he didn't have a good experience. But I knew him all through the career. And, of course, when he really started uh, playing Vegas, he'd come over to Caesar's Palace, where I was working, and I'd see him at the Hilton, and we got to know each other quite well. Sinatra, I'm assuming he asked you to write a song, which turned yes. out to be My Way, and that, that particular song was, this is the the epic ending type song of my career. It wasn't necessarily right for you, right for you as a performer, was it? No, I learned early in the game that you know, I wasn't going to have a hit record all the time. I think the gravitas for me and kind of where my genetic pool was, was as a writer, because I, that's all I wanted to do was write. And, you know, nobody would hear me because I was just a young kid. And back then there were none of these shows and what have you. So it was um, when I wrote it around 24, 25 years old after hanging with Sinatra and him, you know, always teasing me about writing for him, et cetera. And it culminated in Florida when he was doing a movie and I was down there and he told me he's quitting and my producer was Don Costa and I introduced him. He said, you never wrote me that song. Well, that motivated me when I was living in New York. I, I left him in Florida and went up to New York and, you know, wrote it in five hours. I was just, I not believe he was quitting. And, um, it was, I knew that it wasn't me. I was more, I was kind of just really metaphorically pretending he was writing the words, you know, retiring and now the end is near, et cetera. Yeah. So it was really for him. Uh, my record company at the time, RCA Victor, when they heard it, said, why don't you do it? I said, I'm too young. I said, I said first of all, it's for him. And, you know, I, I'm not into ate it up, spit it out, and you know, everything that was indigenous to what he was about. He was the only guy that I wanted to have do it. I mean, he's Frank Sinatra, after all. So when I gave it to him at Caesars, you know, I flew out, from New York and told him about it and he um, he looked at me and you know he was always Frank Sinatra very cool he goes mm, I love it kid I'm gonna do it and two months later I'm sitting in my apartment in uh, in New York and I got a phone call from Los Angeles it's Frank Sinatra calling from the studio in LA and he said kid listen to this and uh, they played me my way over this speaker and, and I heard it for the first time I started crying <laughs> emotional. Oh my gosh, it's that's amazing, especially when you consider from point A to point B and that you wrote this thing pretty quickly when you think about it. I had no idea that Sinatra played it over the phone for you. Yes, he did. That's the first time I heard it. Yeah, well, he was out west and everybody recorded out in Los Angeles. And uh, 
Costa, you know, my guy, they, most of Sinatra's records were done in Los Angeles. Thus, you know, when he decided to go in, uh, that's where he did it. And, you know, back then, it wasn't a media-driven society or the technology didn't really prevail that way. So if you wanted to hear something, you heard it, you heard it all over on the phone. Even when you were promoting records, it was all done by phone. That's amazing. Could you clear this up for me? The Tonight sure. Show, the Tonight Show theme. It's yeah. a it's a song you had previously written, yeah. and then Johnny Carson collaborated with you on a new arrangement, um, yeah. which, which would eventually become his famous theme song. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell me about how he got writer's credit on this. Sure, be happy to. Well, originally I met him, I was doing a TV special in uh, England, and I wanted some comedy relief, and they sent me over a bunch of kinescopes of comics. I saw Johnny Carson doing this. He was this, he, he drank all night, but at 8 in the morning he had a kiddie show. Well, that in itself is funny. <laughs> so I said, this is great. So he flew over. I got to know him a little bit, as best as you could. And he came back to New York. I came back to New York. I ran into him in an office building. I said, hey, Johnny, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to take over this show, The Tonight Show. I think I'll do it for about a year. <laughs> and uh, I'm changing this and changing. He said, I might want a song. Well, I had this melody, frankly, and uh, it was another song. But I, it was very simple. And I said, you know, I'm just going to roll it over, and I'll do a demo of just the, the melody. And I sent it to him. And he said, wow, I really love it. He said, I've got a problem. He said, this guy, Skitch Henderson, has been with the show forever. Uh, he doesn't want any kid writing or doing any music on the show. He wants to do it. He says, so, he said, I don't know what to say. I said, wow, I said, it's too bad, Johnny. I said, well, look, you think about it. What I'll do is I'll give you half of the publishing, and I'll give you half of the writer's credit. So he, he thought about it, <laughs> did the math, <laughs> <laughs> and whatever happened, Skitch was out, the song was in, and the one year he was going to do the show lasted how many years? 30. So we put our kids through college on that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> I just gave it to him. I figured I had nothing anyway, and I'd give it to him, and it's only, what, 15, 20 seconds and catchy. And that's what made it happen, frankly. I just gave him half of everything. I didn't care. Oh, my gosh. I just wish we had more time right now, Paul. Uh, your Making Memories album is available on Amazon, iTunes, and all the platforms. It was such an honor. Always look forward to coming home there in Vegas. And the Smith Center is a great, great venue. You know, I travel all over the world. And I must tell you, between the staff, the structure, and the vibe in there, it's really something we always look forward to. So it is one of the best. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Paul, thanks so much. You take care. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, Paul's songs were always very personal. In fact, Puppy Love, for instance, was all about his girlfriend at the time, Annette Funicello. And as far as the story about the Tonight Show theme, because Johnny got half of the publishing on that song, by all accounts... Both Johnny and Paul were making about a quarter of a million dollars a year each as long as The Tonight Show was on the air playing that theme song. Amazing. Well, that finishes up this episode of The Fake Show with Paul Anka as my guest. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.